Well, I guess that makes a change from all the ships and the boats at any rate, doesn't it? Hello and welcome to episode 121 of The Cool Room, a very special evening that we spent together a week or so ago at the time of recording with St. Bernardus. Uh, you're going to get to experience a lot of conversations about their amazing beers, the story of the brewery and the techniques that they use to produce their great beers. Um, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, well, thank you for downloading us. We hope that you'll rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. We hope that you'll follow us on Instagram and Facebook so that you can find out about all of the other fun events that we've got coming up. Uh, we're in the process of putting together our March tasting packs. They're available on our Shopify. If you just search Cool Room Shopify, you'll be able to track us down. And in March, we're looking forward to having Molly Rose, Fury and Son, uh, and Embolden from the United States uh, in our March pack and we also have a very very special event coming up as you'll hear uh, as we chat with St Bernardus. Uh, we have another special event coming up with Nurnia Ur from Norway uh, which should be absolutely fantastic stuff. Uh, okay without any further ado let me get things underway with our chat with St Bernardus. And here we are, we've started our chat with the guys and I've misled them already because I said the first thing I was going to do was ask them to introduce each other. Actually, the first thing I'm going to do is ask them how I should pronounce the name of the brewery because sometimes here in Australia, we get these things a little bit wrong. So how should we pronounce it, gentlemen? Oh, well, I think it's very simple since we're uh, speaking English right now. We call the brewery, brewery St. Bernardus. If you wish, and and if we were genuinely, if we were speaking other languages, are there other ways of pronouncing it? And how would you pronounce it well, when you're walking down the street out front of the brewery? The brewery is called St Bernardus. We we we're uh, we are fond of using the St as whatever you want to say. Uh, so, for example, in Italy, it's San Bernardus, or uh, in in uh, in Spain, uh, same thing. So. I, I noticed guess, on the uh, website that it was more a synth than a saint by our sort of standards. It is so a synth. It is, it is officially a synth. Uh, well, there we've got the official answer and the answer for people in Melbourne tonight. Um, it's a big honour, gentlemen, for you uh, to be here with us tonight. We feel so special uh, to have you on the show. This is one of the first times that we've done a special, very small little gathering. And so everyone in here tonight has purchased the pack and has the beautiful beers ready to taste. Uh, only those people are allowed in the room tonight, um, which makes it extra special for us. Marco, Peter, welcome. I'm going to ask you to introduce each other, which is one of the traditions we have here. Tell us a little bit about each other and uh, and maybe tell us which is the favourite non-St. Bernardus beer that uh, you both enjoy. Nice. Okay. You go first, I guess. I go first. I think uh, the first time uh, I saw Marco uh, must be more uh, than five years ago. I mean, he was all uh, sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He was all sweaty. And that's like a, a nice story to tell. Um, because uh, before I worked for uh, the brewery, I was working for a festival. And the region of the brewery uh, is one of the, the, the biggest music festivals in the region namely uh, traditional and folk music. 
and uh, it's, it happens to be one of the most important brand activation events for the brewery where um, yeah we have our own bar or our own stand where we have uh, yeah we're still the beers are, 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 are sold and there's also uh, some musical activities in our bar or stand and uh, before <clears throat> sorry before I worked for the brewery uh, Marco was charged with uh, putting up that stand making sure everything was all right uh, before I came to the brewery that, that was Marco who was doing that and uh, it takes it takes us about a week to build up that stand with a lot of people involved in the brewery um, and uh, yeah we're, we're quite small so uh, we, we we love to help from from that angle of view to, to not uh, we're, we're not um, we, we like to make our hands dirty as well. Yeah. <laughs> you understand? That, yeah, absolutely. Now, Marco, is that how you remember the first meeting or do you have a different version? Yeah, I thought, uh, who's this guy? He's new here. I haven't seen him before. And uh, he, uh, I told him that I really liked uh, a little booklet that they made from the festival. And he said, well, I made that. And... Uh, that got me thinking, and I thought, if that guy can do that, maybe he can help me in the brewery as a, as a, a marketeer or a, as a. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's yeah. that's how how I, I guess I lured him into that, the that was, into the into the brewery later on, much later on. That was I think that was already a, a year later because the first time I saw you, you uh, you didn't know me at that point uh, okay. and you were you were talking to the to the person that was charged at the festival with the sponsor sponsoring yes, the, yes, yes. the partner deals and you had like a straw hat on from St Bernardus and it was very hot <laughs> and you just uh, managed to finish the the to build up the stand with the with the colleagues yeah, of St yeah, Bernardus yeah, yeah. so that was the first time I saw Marco and I still see that vision uh, in my head <laughs> You, you, it seems like you have a photographic memory. That's a very yeah. specific image I, in your mind. I, I, I still know where that was. <laughs> <laughs> and Marco, how about you? When did you first meet Peter? Uh, I guess uh, I guess I don't remember, but I, uh, actually, <laughs> it was at the same festival, and uh, uh, a year later, I do remember him, and uh, uh, he, he he struck me as being a very hands-on guy as well. Uh, he liked uh, he liked to help with everything, and uh, I was responsible for sales and marketing, and was looking for somebody to help me on the marketing side. And uh, I kind of wrote uh, um, the the vacature. Uh, how do you say that? The job description, profile. the profile. I wrote it with him in the back of my head, um, and when. I finished it and I published it online to find somebody. I also sent it to you, I think. Yeah, I think I got an email or yeah. something like that. I sent him an email and I said, hey, don't you know anybody who might be interested in this? And uh, that's how I kind of that's drew, how- drew him in. That's also the way that I got to work here uh, 20 years ago. Uh, somebody sent me, somebody asked me, don't you know anybody who would like to be the sales manager of the brewery? He has to speak Italian and French and English and German, and he has to know a lot of languages. And yeah. I said, oh, I'm, I'm from Limburg, so I'm from the, from the slow part of the country. I don't know if you know what I mean by slow. but Well, I'm not, I think we do, but I don't want to, I don't want to get it wrong either. So. 
And, and uh, uh, so it took me three weeks to figure out that it was actually a message for me. And then I <laughs> called the owner back and I told him, hey, you know, that, that guy you're looking for, maybe it's me. And then I, I heard afterwards that on the, on the, on the phone, he, he did like, yes, my, my, <laughs> I got him on the hook. So, yeah. Yeah. But before you got that email, did they have a sales and marketing manager? We'll come, we're going to talk through the whole history of the brewery, but All right. it's, it's interesting to hear that really it's only in the last couple of decades that things have really moved into being a modern brewery. Yes, that's true. Uh, I don't know if it's uh, appropriate, but I would like to go a little bit way back, like in sure, 1946. In 1946, our brewery was founded uh, with the sole purpose of uh, brewing and commercializing the beers of the Trappist monks of West Flatteren. Before that, we were a cheese factory, a cheese factory that also stemmed from another Trappist monastery just across the border uh, called uh, Mont des Cats. And they started a refuge here at the other side of the of the border, and when I say the other side of the border, the distance between the two, b- between us and them right now is about seven miles. So it's really close. We're on the border. I can see the border from 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 my backdrop view from my from our office. And there so, must have been a very special reason for traveling those seven miles. Well, uh, yes, uh, they didn't want to pay taxes in France. And here in Belgium, they could make money and not pay taxes. So I guess they were like uh, uh, doing like uh, what we would do right now by putting our money in the Bahamas or something like that. <laughs> so they came across the across the uh, the border and started making cheese here uh, under the name Port Salut de Watu. But the refuge actually that they started it was called. Uh, Refuge de Saint Bernard de Watu. Uh, yeah, Refuge yeah. de Saint Bernard de Watu. So, and the, and the Trappist monastery called the, the cheese factory Saint Bernard. Uh, back uh, after the second, uh, after the first world war, they went back to France because the, the, they didn't have to pay taxes anymore. The government changed their idea. They sold the cheese factory and it got into the hands of two brothers. Uh, called Evarist and Antoine de Koning, who already were cheesemakers, uh, but about 40 miles from here. They took over this uh, cheese factory and they made it really big. And they kept on producing during the Second World War. And because of that, uh, they were able to make a lot of money during the war. So it's kind of awkward to say, but they were not shut down and uh, they were able to produce a lot of cheese. And after the Second World War, those two brothers uh, were contacted by uh, the Trappist Monastery of West Flatteren to to ask them if they wanted to brew their beer because uh, the monks didn't want to brew for themselves anymore, but um, were looking for somebody to to have a license to, to sell their beer. And uh, the brewmaster of West Flatteren, who was a private person, not a monk, uh, f- the, his origins were in Poland. His name was Matthieu Zafranski. Uh, he came over to the brewery. Uh, he became a partner together with the two brothers and he brought along all the know-how and uh, the recipes 
the technical uh, equipment as well. And most important, he brought the yeast from uh, St. Sixtus to uh, make the beers here. And during many uh, years, we brewed for them under license the beers of the Trappist monks of West Vlettern called Trappist West Vlettern or a little bit later, St. Sixtus, which was the name of the Trappist monastery. Okay, so going back to, uh, moving on a little bit, a little bit, 46 years later, in 1992, our license came to an end, but we still brew the same beers with the same recipes uh, uh, and the same yeast strain, but uh, under a different brand name, uh, namely the name of the cheese factory, the name of the brewery, and also the name of our beer right now, which is Saint Bernardus. That's and you. That's a what you've stolen a little bit of the story from later on. But that's fantastic. So, so you started twenty years ago. Yes. Uh, were you part of the new wave of helping to modernise at that stage, or? Well, I think uh, we, we've been constantly uh, uh, growing our brewery uh, in, in the in the past uh, two decades, but definitely uh, a lot uh, has modernized and changed in the past five years. And I think a lot has to do with the fact that Peter is here and he's done a tremendous work on the marketing side uh, to make everything a little bit more, let's say, uh, up to date. Up to date. Uh, because I guess some, some things uh, coming out of our brewery have been a little bit outdated. Uh, we've, we've, we've done everything on site in the past five years. Yeah. Built a rooftop bar, be, uh, modernized our, uh, our packaging. And uh, I think those are things that, uh, that we see the, the fruits from now. That's a very good segue. I, I look forward to talking far more about the history I look forward to talking about the brewery and the bar, but this beer itself is part of that modernisation process. Is that right? And can you take me on a tour of the beer? Talk about the colour, the aroma, the flavours, and why you felt the need to have a, a new beer in the lineup. Um, but I, I, um, I don't know if everybody... I'm just sorry to interrupt that, but uh, does everybody have a beer in front of them? Because my, my glass is still empty. So I, I find it difficult. It's, uh, it's only uh, 10 o'clock here in the morning, but I think it's 6 o'clock somewhere, right? It is. Well, it's, it's uh, nearly 8.30 p.m. here, so we definitely, oh. have, a, we definitely have a glass in front of us. Okay, uh, so I'm going to pour a beer, okay? Please do. And, and then once you've poured that... Take us on a tour uh, of that beer. Most of us have already had the wit beer as well, and we're looking forward to the six and the 12, and then we'll turn the recording off and enjoy the eight together for those of us that have time to stick around. Uh, and one of the questions I was going to ask, and you, we can see it there, I'll ask you to describe it in a minute, is what glass you suggest we should drink these beers from and how we should pour it. So... Let's even before you describe the color, the the aroma and the flavor. We, we like to use our own glass. It's uh, conceived for a 33 cent liter bottle. But if you can't find that, try and find 
a big burgundy glass, for example, that opens up at the bottom and closes at the top a little bit. Uh, uh, our beer is poured into the glass very slowly, but uh, also not tilted, but just standing up. So you slowly pour the beer and uh, you keep it really low. And once you get halfway, you just raise your glass a little bit and, and try and get a nice thick foamy head on it. You see like this. That looks magnificent for all the people who are listening to the podcast later on. You've missed out on seeing a wonderful pour because the foam just crests over the top without any sort of of the liquid running down. How many, when someone joins the bar team in your beautiful new bar, how many goes do they get at pouring it like that before they're told that they, you know, they're not right? <laughs> I guess... I guess most of the times, uh, people here upstairs, they, they have our, we have 16 beers on draft. So most of the times they get the, board, the beer already poured. But um, we, do, we do like to explain how to pour the beer. It's very easy, very, very easy. Uh, much easier than when you have to tilt your glass. So the, the, the trick is just to start very, very slowly and uh, pour gently and uh, raise your glass, uh, raise your bottle a little bit higher once you get to the second part of the pouring. And that's about it. More, more, there's nothing more to it. Yeah, it's straight, it's straight forward, I guess. Cheers, Peter. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers, not. gentlemen. Now that you're tasting it, and I'm, I'm sure making sure it tastes perfect over there in Belgium as it does here in Melbourne tonight, can you take us on a little tour? What colour should we be seeing? What makes this beer special? Your beer, I have to say, looks darker in the glass to me on Zoom than my one to me does. But please take us through as if we were tasting together uh, I, what we'd experience. We're, we're having the extra four, which is a, a, a blonde, uh, and uh, it's a 4.8%, uh, very clear and very... Uh, Shiny, shiny, and the golden hue. Yeah, golden hue. And uh, uh, it's one of the younger beers of the brewery. Actually, uh, we started brewing that also in 1946 when we took over from the Trappist monks. But back in those days, the beer was still a uh, a four four percent brown beer. So the the recipe that we brought back after shutting it uh, shutting it down, not brewing it anymore in the 70s. We started making it again in uh, 2014, and we decided to make it a, a blonde beer uh, this time. So 4.8%, uh, very smooth, very silky, a little bit uh, um, zesty and uh, uh, floral touches. Floral touches in the finish, and I think it's a, a very, very drinkable beer. We call it our session beer. Uh, it's, it's very handy when you go to trade shows and you have to drink beer all evening. Uh, this way you don't have to drink up 12 all the time. It makes that we, uh, we don't make stupid deals at the end of the <laughs> well. So we that understand. That's, that's why we've left the 12 to the end of the tasting tonight. So for, for the very <laughs> same reason. Yeah. Uh, you said you brought this beer back not as a brown beer, but in this delicious form. How similar, how similar was the recipe 
for people who are well, new to beers, I guess it's a bit confusing to hear that this beer is sort of a reinvention of a brown beer. Yes, yes, yes. Um, actually, all our beers are brewed with the same uh, fermentation yeast. Uh, so uh, the yeast that we still got from uh, back in the days when we started brewing, um, our house yeast, and uh, it, it makes that uh, all our beers are pretty uh, floral or they have a very nice um, uh, fruity touch to it. Fruity touch, yeah. You don't really smell the alcohol? No, not at all. Yeah. And they are all our beers are very well balanced, so they don't tend to go into one or in, into the spectrum that you have of all the different tastes. It touches everything a little bit, but it stays kind of in the center and widens out. Whereas, for example, if you drink an IPA uh, after a few, you don't know what you're trying anymore. This is we've we've had a couple of excellent questions in in the chat, which I'm going to ask. And uh, first of all, I think it was Kieran who was asking on the label. It's described as a strong beer, uh, but 4.8 percent. What does the strong refer to? Is it in terms of the percentage of alcohol, or is it referring to something else? I think uh, it's fair to say that we've come come to realize that we made a mistake on the label. <laughs> <laughs> right. Remember that Kelly was saying that a while yeah. ago. She said, I, "I think I made a mistake on the label." So we're doing new labeling soon, and then this question will be resolved. Okay. Oh well, Kieran <laughs> from North Melbourne, you've so, you've identified and solved a problem there. I was that wasn't the answer I was expecting. I'll be very. You honest. have a lot of private investigators in the audience because then uh, we're going to be in trouble. We we have a lot of people with a very keen eye. They're like eagle-eyed people, oh. so. So we, we yeah. better get ready then. No, really, uh, it's, a, it's a mistake uh, that we made and uh, it will be corrected soon. But it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice question because 4.8% um, is not a lot, so it's not a really strong beer, but uh, it's less than a, a Belgian pinche, like they say, a Belgian lager, who is the most popular beer in Belgium. But in the perception of people, uh, the, bill, the, the beer is uh, considered as a strong beer because it's not a, a, a lager. It's high, high, ferment, high fermented, bottle conditioned, 4.8. It tastes like a specialty beer, and it is a specialty beer, but it's, it, it contains less alcohol than a, a, a regular Belgian beer that we say uh, is, is a pils or a pinch. Pilsner, yeah. Pilsner, yeah. So, but but uh, we are uh, we are actually uh, very very fond of the extra four, and uh, it sells quite well. It's one of the youngest beers of the brewery, one of the younger beers of the yeah. brewery, but uh, it's doing really well. And I think it 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 hit the market just at the right time when people were not only looking for higher and stronger, but also more sessionable and more. Uh, Easy drinking beers, but full of taste. Full of taste, yeah. And without without compromises. Without, uh, uh, without compromises, yes. And we see in the in the in the, in the numbers, in the in the sales numbers uh, of the extra four that the last couple of years it really had uh, um, uh, it really found a, a public. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
for the last couple of years, uh, it's, it's been we start, really well. It start it 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 started uh, very small and it's going really well. So we're very happy about it. And in your own bar, is this the big seller? What do people like to taste when they come to the beer that we sell most of in the area of the brewery, and actually uh, also in uh, the whole, Flanders. also in, in, in Flanders and in uh, uh, in definitely in, in our rooftop bar, um, is Saint Bernard's Triple uh, mm. Green Label, uh, and actually. This is the this is the beer that uh, that's sold most in the in our area, but nobody calls it Saint Bernardus Triple. Everybody calls it uh, Bernadette. So ah. Bernadette, daughter of the uh, owner of uh, of the brewery, and uh, she liked to drink this beer, and she was known for that as well. And uh, everybody calls it Bernadette. So it's a uh, Small Bernadette, Bernadette, and everybody calls it. Everybody who knows about this story calls calls this beer uh, Bernadette. So that's a nice uh, thing to know. That's, that's fantastic. That one's not in our pack tonight. Pretty soon we're going to start to move on towards the six. But yeah. Jacob, again in the Zoom room chat, and make sure you have that open if you're joining us tonight. That's the little bonus you you get. Has asked about maintaining the yeasts that you use and given you hinted before and that you didn't hint you told very directly the the story of the importance of bringing the yeast uh when your founders came across how do you continue to do that how much lab work do you do at the brewery and how much do you well what's the process i guess excuse me what was the last the last bit What's what's the process for making sure that the yeast is always ready to go? Do you do you make it on site, or do you still buy something yeah, from we elsewhere? Propagate, we, prop, we propagate our own yeast uh, from, um, I guess, uh, we propagate our own yeast from the previous batch, and every every so often we go back to the mother yeast. Uh, we throw away everything that we have uh, in house and go back and propagate a new batch. Uh, those are kept at uh, two universities and under in, in, a, in a vault. Uh, we call it the vault. And one time when we renew, we go to the Louvain-la-Neuve. Uh, it's in the French part. And the other time we go to um, uh, Leuven, which is in the Flemish part. So I guess uh, this is the way that we uh, maintain our own yeast strain strong and uh, um, yeah, that's that's fairly easy because we've always done it uh, in this way, and uh, I think uh, I think it's uh, it, it's 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 the best way uh, to make sure that uh, our yeast strain doesn't uh, we don't lose it, you know. And how closely do you work with the universities about the beers themselves, not just the yeast propagation and maintenance? Well, um, actually, uh, that's something that's changed in the past 10 years, I think. Uh, we used to work very closely with the university itself up until 10 years ago when, um, when the professor who was running uh, that uh, uh, help, let me call it help center, uh, founded his own um, beer centrum, and uh, we switched uh, to go with the pro professor, as did many uh, Flemish and Walloon breweries. And now it's treated more like a, a, 
like a, 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 company. A, a, a company, let's say more than comp more company than university, and uh, he helps us uh, improve uh, our methods and uh, we use this uh, beer center to analyze our beers even further, uh, just to make sure that everything is perfect and uh, nothing goes wrong. Yes. That's fascinating because we've got some some friends here in Australia who've done similar things in terms of starting their own yeast companies and also in talking to Weinstefana last year, you know, just about their relationships with the university and just fascinating to see how things are evolving and changing right around the world. The the, the people from Weinstefan are very good friends of ours. We're actually their importer in Belgium as a brewery. And we know Marcus and Johannes pretty well. Uh, they're they're really good friends of ours, and uh, they're also the the reason that our importer right now is uh, Phoenix. Well, you, why don't actually genuinely? Why don't you tell that story? This is part <laughs> of what we'd like to do in the podcast is to pull back the curtain a little bit on the industry. Yeah. So, and. Uh, we, we, we're a small brewery. They're a little bit bigger. Uh, I really like the, I really like them as, as people, as persons. I know them uh, very for a long time, and uh, I, I I try not to mimic. But if I if I have the opportunity to choose a new importer in a country we're not uh, present at yet, and they're the importer of wine Stefan as well, then I just give them a call, ask if it's a good company and take it from there so for me it's like a, a no-brainer if somebody's working with with wine stefan they know good beer so then they will also be able to sell not just the oldest beer in the world which is wine stefan but also the best which is Saint Bernardus. <laughs> we make with the germans you know it uh I, I won't pass that on to any of our friends uh from wine <laughs> stefan but I can see that Michael and David and Dwayne, amongst others, David in the room, uh, who've been very generous with their efforts in helping us get such wonderful guests like yourselves on, uh, are smiling. So um, it's been, it's just interesting, I think, to hear how some of those things work, because in Australia, when we see a big, important brand like yours, it's interesting to understand how it comes to be in our, in our fridges here tonight. Yeah, it's a... Uh... It's fairly uncomplicated. I guess sometimes you don't have to uh, do a lot of market research. Just uh, follow, follow the follow the German Grundlichkeit. Uh, uh, you say. I'm not sure what that means, but let's oh, not. Means, no, no. Let's just move on. Thorough. We can look at that. <laughs> they're very thorough. You know. Excellent. Um, as. We start to open up the Pata 6, which I think is the next beer that people are going to be having in their glasses. There was one other question from Robin uh, in the chat. And welcome, Robin. Robin, you've been a big supporter of the podcast of late. Don't always get to join us online, so it's fantastic to see you. Uh, you've mentioned that on the labels we have, uh, amongst the ingredients that are included, is sugar. Uh, and we don't always see that listed as such on a beer label. Um, can you talk us a, talk us through a little bit about why that appears as its own label and as you pour that magnificent six and do a wonderful job of it again? It's uh, back, back, like I said before, we, we still brew the same beers with the same recipe as we did so many, so many years ago in 1946. 
and we actually use a, a little bit of sugar in our brew. Um, not only that, uh, all our beer is bottle conditioned, so that means that just before we bottle the beer, we add a little bit of sugar to it. Uh, we also add fresh yeast to it, which is not the same yeast as the uh, uh, primary fermentation yeast. And there is always a little bit of a residue in the beer uh, that is not uh, uh, fermented. And that's why if, if you bottle condition and you do that, uh, we think you should actually mention it because for some people, it's, I think it's very important to be honest on the label. So that's what we, that's what we do. That's an excellent answer. And I, I presume it's the same yeast that you're adding at the end as uh, did the initial fermentation. And so for all those kids at home who are trying to clone something, you know, that's what, that's why I mentioned that. So people can try and uh, brew a beer of our uh, bottle conditioning yeast, which, which is also a good idea because it's a good yeast, but it's not our primary fermentation yeast. That's good. That's worth bearing. We've got a lot of home brewers who. Yeah. Um, I think it's, now that you've now that you've poured that delicious six, let's move the conversation on to that. And uh, it's a very different looking beer, very different tasting beer to the four. For for people who are new, we have a number of podcast listeners who are expert brewers themselves, but some who are very new. What is it about the process that makes this beer? that is so different to the process that makes the four? I guess this is the point where I like to explain that there is one ingredient that we don't put on our label. Oh. The, the main ingredient uh, that, that, uh, that nobody knows about is called time. No. So we give our beer time to become beer with a capital B, which means that we lager it uh, as long as we need to, and we mature it even longer. Uh, uh, the maturization process uh, that we call lagering uh, is, uh, up to, goes up to six weeks. So that means that the beer has a, a lot of time to become very round. And I think that's something that I've mentioned before. Our beer is very balanced, very, very much uh, uh, has very good equilibrium, and uh, we've never, uh, never ever compromised on on that. So for us, that's that's very important. Another thing very peculiar about our beer, and maybe for the Father Six in, in particular, is that uh, uh, during the years you. Uh, as a brewery, you evolve and you try to do better. But uh, at a certain point, we installed a new brew hall in 2014. And we had the opportunity to, to drastically change the way that we brew beer, namely to use a different filtration method. Uh, it's called a Mura filter. A Mura filter makes sure that you get all the all the juice out of your ingredients. You get everything out of it. Uh, and that means that uh, you have to use less ingredients to brew the same beer. 
but it also means that you have to change your recipe to be to get the same beer. So it's so it's more uh, economical, uh, financially yes. interesting to do yes. it that way. Yes. But we chose to do it up, uh, other way. We we chose to stick with our old-fashioned way of filtration, which means that we are losing money uh, in in terms of uh, the bankers slash brewers that we have nowadays. But I guess. Sometimes it's good to lose money and to keep on making good beer. And uh, in the end, the beer wins. So it's not always about every dime or every penny. It, it, it has to be about making good beer. Yeah. Our owner has uh, a mantra, uh, something that he repeats every day. It, uh, it contains three words and it's quality, quality, and quality. Yeah. Well, that's. I think that's... It's, I've looked at your website and the, the photos of the new part of the brewery are amazing. This seems like a, a good time to talk about how disruptive has it been to, to go through that process of having a whole new way of, of brewing. It looks amazing. I'd love to brew on it. I, I think there you have like an era before 2018 and, uh, and, uh, and an era uh, after 2018. Uh, if, if you're talking about the, the new building and the new... Um, uh, facilities to, to host or to welcome uh, tourists and, uh, and beer enthusiastic uh, people. Um, we've opened a whole new wing in 2018 with our rooftop bar and several several spaces to host meeting and events for companies. And uh, that has changed the perception uh, of the brewery uh, a lot, not only in the region uh, uh, around the brewery, but uh, yeah, in, in worldwide, I guess. Uh, we, we, we now welcome up to 50,000 people per year on our on our site on our in our facilities and that, uh, that's quite a lot more than we used to before 2018. Mm -hmm. You say you said disrupting and actually uh, it wasn't because it's like an addition on the side this used to be where we are we are actually in that new building and so it's a the building is actually a mix of old and new, but it's it's an addition. It's a, a wing next to it. It's on a park. It's on an old parking lot. The parking lot is gone. We built an underground parking garage. Uh, we have a new warehouse uh, on in two two floors. We have a uh, we have this meeting room here where we host the the, the start of the brewery tours, or hosted because we have to talk about that later. And then we have a, a big hall here behind us that holds up to 500 people for a nice big party. And we have a rooftop bar uh, above us that uh, holds about 400 in total, yeah. inside, outside, mm -hmm. with uh, panoramic views uh, of our area, 360 what's, view. But, but it's an addition on the side. So we were perfectly able to just do that on the side. And, the, and those renewals in 2018 also put a spotlight on the things that we were doing before. So um, the, the place where the brewery started and where uh, Bernadette de Konings used to live, so the daughter of Evarist, um, she lived in a, in, a, in a place where we now have a, a guest house, a bed and breakfast. Uh, it's all that she founded. That she founded more than 20 years ago. Uh, more than. Uh, Peter, sorry, I'm here 20 years. So more, so than, more than 40 <laughs> years ago. 40 years ago. So with that 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 new, that that new wing put a spotlight on that guest house uh, where we can uh, welcome up to 26 people in 10 rooms. 
and we did a whole renovation. Uh, we finished the whole renovation on that guest house a week ago, uh, and we are also yeah we we we've been fully booked the last years uh, between uh, April and October. Mm-hmm. The 26 sounds like a very good number because that's roughly how many people we have in the cool room from Melbourne, Australia right now. So uh, I think Muggs is suggesting we might come on a tour. We should probably book ahead, but it's okay if we just turn up one day, isn't it, and say that we're from the cool room and yes. we've, we've come here. I would do that, definitely. <laughs> and it's only one flight away, I guess. Well, that's maybe... so I was going to ask, normally very early on we ask our guests to describe the area that they're in and how it looks and how it feels because we have listeners from all over the world. We didn't actually do that tonight. So if we were standing in the bar looking out at the surroundings, are we seeing farms or are we seeing an urban, you know, are we seeing factories? We have so many different kinds of guests. Cows, farms, uh, little roads, patches of land. You can see up to uh, 20 miles around the brewery. And uh, the brewery stands out because it's uh, it's a landmark. It's very very strange to see a big building like this in the middle of nowhere. And uh, we have panoramic views, beautiful panoramic views of the area. And uh, in the summer, it's particularly beautiful because we have uh, our own hop field next to the brewery, which is awesome to see and to see grow. And you can look from the top to it. It's and the sunset in the hop fields, which is fantastic. So I guess I should stop making publicity for <laughs> the, for the bed and breakfast because uh, really book ahead because it's booked full uh, from April to uh, to October. Yeah. It, definitely in the weekends, maybe during the week time, you can find the twenty six places. Uh, and and right now in winter because of course we're in the middle of an Australian summer. Yes. So we're in. To, you know, we're very much in sort of hot mode. What's the what's the weather like outside right now? If we were to go and wander uh, it's around, very windy. Uh, we had a, a storm last night. Uh, my uh, trash can, uh, the, the trash cans were flying across the street in my in my in my neighborhood. Um, and uh, today the sun is shining. Uh, it's uh, about four degrees Celsius, I think. Something uh, like it's that. It's very windy. And uh, we're happy that the sun is shining because it's the first time in a few days. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have to say that just like the monks who fled France because of the taxes, we would like one day to figure out how to use this as a taxable reason for all of us to come oh. and visit the brewery. So that's part of our plan. <laughs> yeah, it's very easy. You just uh, deduct it as an educational trip. Uh, you say that uh, you're, you're, you intend to be a, a brewer in the future and that you want to go to the Walhalla of brewers and come to our area, visit us, visit West Flatteren, go to the Streese Brewers, which are very close, um, go maybe to the Dolle Brewers in Essen, who are also really nice uh, to visit. And then uh, I think not one uh, tax uh, 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 a control guy will ever doubt that you were actually on, a, on an educational trip. I think and then you can deduct everything. That sounds wonderful. I think the treasurer of Australia has his eye on me and, and, and knows what I'm up to already. But I, 
maybe the rest of the team can come over one day. Uh, can you just, again, talk us, perhaps, while we're del- sipping this delicious beer, what flavours do you get? And your website is very good about talking about what food should be paired with the beers. And I think that's a great thing to talk about as well. <laughs> Peter wrote, uh, Peter helped to write and read, uh, redact the book. So I said to him just now, you, you go ahead and ta- talk about that part, but... Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know those, those things by heart. <laughs> but but I, I think it's fair to say that uh, we chose some beers to go with dishes. Uh, the, the one that we're going to have later, the App 12 here in Belgium, it's uh, the go-to beer for um, uh, a, a Flemish stew, which is uh, 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 like, I think you also call, can call it carbonate, carbonade, or uh, mm-hmm. yeah, like stew, uh, it's it's a uh, it goes very well and it's uh, actually also checked out in a scientific way because the the polyphenol that comes from uh, our app 12 and that it mixes perfectly together with the the flavors that come from uh, uh, braised uh, meat and uh, boar. It, uh, boar. It, uh, yeah also boar it goes perfectly together so but actually uh, for me, the most important part when you when you try to uh, cook with beer or do food pairing is that you don't uh, uh, don't hold back on uh, flavors, but hold back on volume. What I mean by that, if you make a sauce with beer, don't don't exaggerate. Uh, when you when you cook with beer, don't hold back on the quality. Like some people say. Are you really pouring an up tw- three up twelves in a in a stew? Yes, we are, and you know why? We like to use the best ingredients to make the best food. Uh, we don't want to use just anything. So everybody here in Belgium uses up twelve if they're making a stew, and it's the favorite national dish uh, of our country. So everybody eats that during the winter time, at least once a month, if not more. And it's 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 one of the favorite dishes. We eat it with uh, Flemish fries, not French fries, and mayonnaise. Sorry. Yeah. I, I I like what you did there. I saw that. That's that's very good. Yeah. It it became the favorite national dish after uh, the uh, famous TV chef on the public broadcast in Belgium, uh, who he, he presents a daily show called Darlijkse Kost. Jeroen Meus is his name. Jeroen He's Meus. a nice guy. And uh, he, he presents, a, he makes a TV show, Dalek's Post. That was that, that's Dutch for uh, eating what, what you're eating daily on a daily basis. Uh, so uh, no, normal, easy dishes. And uh, he he made a competition for his uh, thousand one thousand yeah. uh, episode uh, to 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 make a competition or a voting for everyone that was watching the show um, to ask and ask the people what's your favorite dish. And uh, way, uh, the Flemish stew became number one in Belgium, and uh, the increase of sales of the of the Saint Bernardus F12 was going through the roof. You couldn't find one, uh, not even one bottle in the in any retailer. Everything was sold out everywhere. Sales went up. Uh, so on the sales side, uh, in the in the six week fo- uh, 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 in the six week around those uh, around that show. Sales went up uh, by 400%. 
I've got to say that sounds a bit like finding your beers in Melbourne, Australia, which is very, very <laughs> tricky to do. But um, we will ask you to post in our Facebook group uh, that in the, in the event page a recipe for that. In Melbourne, we're not quite in stew mode. It's still a little bit hot for us, but uh, it's starting to feel like autumn might be on the way. So we'll be uh, we'll be heading back into stew season very time very soon. You can find the recipe on our website if you wish. Oh, that's even better. For example, if you're making some something like a barbecue and uh, you have a, a, a marinade where it says that you have to use uh, some water or some oil uh, to marinate your meat or your fish or your uh, tiger shrimps or whatever, just replace it by St. Bernard's Wit or St. Bernard's App 12 uh, and uh, just use a little bit of the bottle so that you have a reason to you're buying the beer not to drink it but you're buying the beer to make food and then you can just drink the rest of the bottle i think for that for that to be a sensible suggestion you have to make sure that you ship a lot more to us because the beer is so precious by the time that it gets here that uh we're not going to be pouring it on a shrimp or a sausage we're going to keep it for keep it for our own mouths I know what you mean, but just buy another bottle and then you, 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 can, you can do You guys can do it. We will work very, very hard at that. Now, Thanks. we'll have a little break in, for, in a second, uh, just so that people can get ready for the, for the 12. But we have a traditional question here in the cool room. Uh, and I'm not sure whether the cool room means the same thing for you as it does to us here in Australia. It's a big walk-in fridge often in a brewery, often at the back of a pub or a, of a, a place to drink. And strange things happen in cool rooms. And so this is the question where we sort of ask about naughty things you might have seen happen in a cool room, uh, whether it's you know, not, not where you are now. In fact, I should ask, let me ask this question. What did you both do before you came uh, to St Bernardus? Were you in the beer industry? Were you doing other things Peter, you were working in the music industry, so I used to have a pub, but I didn't have a walk a walk-in cooler. Uh, Peter, uh, he was uh, uh, doing something completely different as well. I was I was in, uh, indeed in, a, in the events or cultural music industry, uh, organizing a festival. Uh, but I before that, I also was working seven years in a, in a music venue and. In a live uh, venue in our region, a very small concert hall, and it did have two walkable uh, cooler rooms. Yeah, you can so, walk so, so feel free to tell the story about those venues rather but, than where you are now. We're not asking you to tell naughty stories about St. Bernardus. I know strange I know things you've seen in a walk in cool room. I know a nice one, and uh, uh, I really liked it. I, it stuck to me, and I had to think about it when you said it. There's a, a bar in America, I can't remember where, but I think it was in Texas. And it has a, a picture of Christopher Walken, you know, the, the actor, on the cooler, like big, big, the, his head on the cooler. And it says below, Walken, Walken cooler. So it's <laughs> really, really nice. I uh, like that, that a lot. Really cool joke. <laughs> but actually, I haven't, uh, I have more stories about back rooms and storage areas than I have of uh, coolers because... That's fine. That's, that, that will, that will cool. absolutely do. 
Yeah, tell no, us that no, story. Uh, tell, tell us the story about the. I, I used to work in the in the in the bar industry for about uh, ten years, I think. Yeah, as a student, I started working in a pub in Ghent, uh, uh, and I started working there because I couldn't pay my tab. So, uh, and then I paid my tab and I made some more money and then I spent more and I had a big tab. So, so I, I, I ended up uh, working there after I finished my, uh, my education. I, I, when I was gradu graduated, I think you say, hmm. took another, I started another, I, I, didn't go, I didn't go to work yet. I just kept on studying and did something else just that I could keep working in that pub in, in Ghent, in, 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 and it was called the Varant. Uh, so people who know it, they know that it's like it was like the the most iconic place to go to in Ghent to uh, to uh, to witness some uh, strange things going on. Uh, in well, the what park. were some of the strange? Give us give us an example of a strange thing that happened in Ghent one night. Well, let's say uh, when I was working there, we had days that we 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 were supposed to close at uh, five o'clock in the morning. That was uh, closing hour. Uh, it was a student city. Uh, and all the pubs were closed at five and we would close the doors at five, but everybody would stay in and then we could reopen at six in the morning and we just kept on doing it uh, until we kept on going uh, up, up until it, we were actually open again at 11. So uh, sometimes we had days that we wouldn't close and the the cleaning lady would be telling everybody, go stand on that side of the bar and she had to clean the whole thing and go stand on that side. So it was like crazy things going on. We couldn't do that anymore now. No, it's not possible. <laughs> Nowadays, it's like, no, no, you couldn't do that. We, we understand. We call that a good old-fashioned lock-in. So, you know, where, where, the, <laughs> where the blinds come down and the front doors are locked. And um, yeah. I, I've never done it in any pub or bar that I've owned, but I'm told it happens in, in places. So, yeah. yeah, I don't believe you. Yeah, well, that's well, we can take that up elsewhere. Peter, <laughs> do, you, do, you have a, do you have a similar sort of story? What's your favorite, even in the music industry in, or in the, in the venues that you ran before? Some things you've seen. You you must have seen some things going on in the in the in the in the VIP rooms uh, behind the, the curtains and Festival de Randotte. I've seen particularly in folk music. I'm told they're very naughty. <laughs> yeah, not really, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I I've, I've I've seen yeah, I've seen so many things, but not really uh, a lot of rock and roll things. No, no, that's I think more like boring things. Yeah, <laughs> I, a lot of boring things. Yeah, I've I've, I've worked for a festival. I've worked for a, for a, for a live venue. I've seen uh, Belgian artists. I've seen uh, artists uh, from uh, from abroad, be really big artists. Um, and what what struck me the most is that the, the artists that uh, are touring the world are um, uh, mostly uh, more humble and thankful. Than the the artists that are from the from the home soil that are just uh, have have gotten their first radio hit. Hmm. So you must have seen a bit of the world uh, to 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 um, appreciate it uh, a little bit more. 
So everybody that can make money from touring the world with their music is, uh, I think, more thankful and uh, appreciative that they can do that for a living. Mm -hmm. That's that a was yeah, I, that's not a rock and roll story, I know. No, but that's a beautiful answer because I think that probably sums up how appreciative we are of your sharing of your time uh, all the way from Belgium tonight with us here in Melbourne. Hello there, it's Damien Gibson, former host of the podcast you're listening to right now. Fortunately, being an ex-podcast host is not my only credit anymore, as I have a new podcast called Agents of Narrative. It's an arts preview and review show where I play new songs and review the latest in films and TV shows. I also bring you long-form interviews with comedians, artists and musicians. Uh, that's Agents of Narrative, available for download and streaming on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you enjoyed our ads. And um, we've still got Peter and Marco from St. Bernardus here. We're about to launch into the 12. And I think it's fair to say that everyone in the Zoom room has been waiting with anticipation for this. Thank you for your patience, my friends. Let's kick off, Marco, Peter. Take us on a tour of this beer. It's magnificent. Just talk about colour, aroma, flavor and then we'll start to talk about the story so this beer uh up 12 uh, is the beer that we sell most of in the whole world uh, it represents about 50 percent of our sales volume uh, it's considered to be one of the top rate well it's top rated and uh beer of the world one of the best you can get and uh we really like it uh, because it's uh, so full of flavors. Uh, it has such great aromas. Everybody took it out of the fridge one hour ago, uh, like we discussed before, which makes also that it's warmed up a little bit uh, while we are drinking it, during the time we are drinking it, uh, because this is the beer that you enjoy, that you slowly drink. Mm -hmm. We will also feel it uh, warming up a lot. So. Uh, first, the nose. Well, the color, we saw it already, you of can, course. You, you can color, see that the color, color is, is, a, is a bit darker than the Pater's S. So the Pater's S is like a light brown, maybe some red uh, um, color, if you, if, mm -hmm. you, uh, if you look good. But this one is a lot darker. So uh, it's a, it, it has a more complex taste. And it's a good reminder to some of our very newest listeners who perhaps still drink beer out of the bottle, that you're missing a, such an important one-third of what a beer can be. Well, but it's, it's, it's also just uh, basic physics, you know. Uh, we bottle condition our beer. So there is uh, the, the yeast eats the sugar, forms a little bit of alcohol and forms CO2. The CO2 dissolves in the bottle, in the beer, it cannot escape. So once you open the bottle, you and you, the beer is still saturated. Once you pour it into your glass, the CO2 will transform into foam and will evaporate from the beer, which makes that if you drink it, the CO2 doesn't go into your stomach and you don't feel bloated and you don't have to burp. So it's very important if you want to drink more than one, two, three, four, if you don't want to drink more, just pour the beer into a glass. Yeah. It's very important. 
So just for, for because I think people who drink from the bottle, they want to drink a lot and actually are drinking less. So if you tell that to them, then then they will pour it into a glass. That's the only thing they listen to. And they certainly will, will miss the, the aromas will open up yeah. once the, the beer is in the glass. You're right. So we genuinely take our role in trying to educate new people uh, to craft beer seriously. That is a brilliant, you've given two brilliant reasons. Peter, you are a very scientific, sensible one. Marco, you the one that people will listen to. I think that's the way. You know. yeah. More beer is what people want to hear. That's what I mean. So it's a, it's a it's really it has a really rich taste. I, I think the A12, uh, complex uh, uh, taste, but also uh, very round with a long uh, bittersweet finish. It's, it's got it's got a genuine sweetness about it. Particularly, mine's been out of the fridge now for an hour, an hour and a half. It's nice and warm, and the alcohol is warm as well, but without being. It's it's not sort of strict or painful. Also, uh, I think uh, it's uh, it's a beer that uh, hides its alcohol percentage. It's a ten percent beer, but uh, you could drink it. It drinks very easy. Um, you don't sense the alcohol. You don't smell it. You don't taste it. That's because the fermentable sugars are, are all dissolved. And uh, this way, you don't get the, the taste of alcohol in your nose or in your mouth, which is very, very important to me uh, for, for being able to drink more than one or two. So do you, do you know the best part of being in the beer business? Here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> the, the best part of being in the beer business is that... Uh, uh, you guys can all get drunk uh, from drinking too much beer and we can't because uh, for us it's work and we just we, the only thing we can do is work too hard so <laughs> don't get drunk and uh, when we come home late in the evening and our wife says where have you been and then we just say honey sorry I just work too hard I work too late so, I I think if we did a poll on our Facebook page and asked that question, no one is going to accept that. You know, you're not going to win with that. But David, <laughs> oh, David Havani, you come and you go in. That's all the pounds. Ted, are you out there somewhere? Another um, uh, little thing uh, you also mentioned. Eh? What is it? Uh, about uh, having to choose uh, on the menu. And then the, the comparison to the marriage. Ah, yeah. Uh, do, do you know the best part about Belgian beer? There are so many different styles and so many different types of beer. And it can take you up to a lifetime to find your favorite beer. But once you do, you put it in your heart and it's almost like a marriage. But you know the best part? Unlike real marriage, with beer, you can still go out and try something else <laughs> cheers <laughs> okay tell, tell me tell me how that sounds in italian or because yeah i'm, I'm half italian Don't, yeah. not everybody is smiling <laughs> my wife's half italian but i'm still not brave enough to say anything like that i'll give you a tip 
No, but, yep. it, but, but what I mean to say is that it's really true. Once you find your favorite beer, you always go back to it. But, but it allows, still allows you to try other beers. You go into a bar, you drink something else. At the end of the evening, you always go back to App 12. You, you love the beer. That's the last you want to drink before, before you go to sleep. You try everything. You go on untapped. You tick the boxes, whatever you want to do. Uh, do what you want to do. But in the end of the evening, you, go, you come back to the classics. You come back to App 12. You, go, you, drink, you drink one App 12 and you say, why haven't I drank that at the beginning of the evening? Oh, yeah. Then, then, it could, then it would have been a little bit more. I, I like the way you've brought the conversation back to something we can all agree about. That's very important. That's great work. <laughs> yes. That, Say, you, you asked me before, what was my favorite other beer? Yeah, no, I actually asked you, but you're, you're right. I thought you were trying to avoid that question for both no, of us. No, I wasn't. My, my, my question was not to you, Marco, about your favorite oh. other beer. My oh. question was, can you tell me what Peter's favorite other beer is? And Peter, can you tell me what Marco's favorite other beer is? It's trickier. This we set this up early just to create some frisson. I don't know. I think um, your your favorite other beer, it must be uh, if you went uh, out to a bar together no, no. where your beers frisson. weren't on, what would you be drinking? <laughs> no. Uh, no? <laughs> no. It's not. You said yes. No, no, that's right. Just tell this is what we want to hear. We want to hear the discussion. Yeah, Marco is, uh, is trying to make me uh, promote the, the beers from our Ypres City Brewery called Kazematen. So we have like a small city brewery in Ypres where we also uh, brew uh, six beers. Um, but that's not your favorite? No, that's not my favorite. I would think, I, th I, think I would go for something uh, that is brewed by a brewery, De Ranke. Oh. And that's something uh, in Dottigny, and that's mm -hmm. near the Wallonian, nice, nice, Wallonian nice. border. Um, and they have um, their USP, or the story that they're telling is that, uh, and they actually are doing it, is that they are brewing with whole hops. So they're not brewing with, uh, with the hop pellets, but they're brewing with whole hops. And uh, it, uh, it, it makes uh, also a, a quite a nice range of beers. Uh, which, is their, which is your favorite from them? I think I would go for something that is really smooth and uh, already uh, is a classic in their in their range and uh, the Hildenbach. Hildenbach, yeah, it's nice. The Gilden, Gildenbach. I think their most known beer of the Ranke is the XX Bitter, which is really uh, like an IPA uh, by four, triple four or something like yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. a really really uh, bitter beer. I think that's the no most. Uh, it's the best known beer in their range, but I'm I'm not a, what, what, I'm not a fan of IPAs. No. What what's my favorite beer? I, I thank you, Marco. Thank you for asking. I want to hear. I, I'm going to tell you. It's a it's a Trappist Monastery's beer. Uh, the Orval. Yes. Okay. So I can I can agree. My favorite other beer than Saint Bernard's beers is called Orval. Do you know it? It's pretty good. Don't drink it. Leave it to me. <laughs> <laughs> the guy the guy who promotes the beer here in uh, in belgium his name is joffrey the only thing he goes around he, say, he says to everybody yeah we have good beer don't drink it don't drink it <laughs> that's actually a very good marketing line i have to say i like him i like him i like him yeah and uh yeah i i, I think that's a, a very 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 good beer Hey, can I uh, ask? Can I ask on on that note for both of you? 
did you aspire to work for this brewery or to work in breweries eventually? Is this sort of a, the an end of a road and a goal for you? Or is it just luck that you ended up here and discovered you love the beers? For me, it's definitely luck. I, I, after, I, after my uh, pub days, I, I, I owned a pub as well afterwards in Kortek also called the Vagant, and uh, I sold that because I met my wife and I didn't see her because she was going to work and I came home. So that I understand. <laughs> I sold the pub. I started selling uh, started uh, selling Xerox machines and one of the last Xerox machines I sold to the brewery. And the guy, uh, the owner said to me uh, afterwards, I couldn't believe that you screwed me over that big after, even after five minutes, you made me sign a contract and how did how were you able to do that so that's how i got to be part of san bernardes and i guess for peter the first thing you you did marco when you came in, yeah. uh, in service at <laughs> he the gave san me the contract <laughs> he gave me the contract he said fix this and i'm like okay i don't know how yeah. to do that i had to fix my own contract uh, and, and and for Peter, I don't know. I, I can't speak for you. But for me, it's it's. I, I hope to be here. I'm I'm uh, in my fifth. Just in my fifth, I'm fifty. I just became fifty. So I hope to be here uh, twenty more years. And when I'm seventy, I'll retire as a brand ambassador of the brewery, going around the world and doing this kind of thing live. We would love that here in Australia. That those are both great answers. Um, and it's, it's fantastic to, we love to hear the stories of the people involved in the industry. So uh, it's it's great to hear both of your responses there. I'm still not sure who from Phoenix out of David and Michael is available for a chat, but Michael's putting up his hand. And um, Michael, you were my beer rep in Kensington, I think, and then in West Melbourne. So we have a long and happy relationship together. You've been on a few of our beer chats how exciting was it for you when you saw these guys come into your range and what are your memories and thoughts about these beers? Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, I've been with Phoenix probably five years. I think um, it's probably 10 years that um, the guys at Phoenix have been working, uh, working with the brewery. So um, they were well established um, when I started, Um, but you know, I'm a, I'm a, a long-term beer professional. So, um, you know, I've always uh, hunted down um, ABT12 whenever I could see it. Um, you know, at one stage I was um, I was ageing it in my wine cellar to see what had happened. Um, you know, I think we all get a bit obsessive about beers and certainly ABT12, uh, wow, you know, it just um, it, it sparked my imagination, I've got to say. Um I just wanted to say something um, sort of general about Australia and the industry, which is probably, you know, directing um, back towards Belgium. You know, we're a very young beer culture. Um, you know, we're probably weaned on um, macro lager and, um, you know, fairly flavourless beers. So with the rise of craft, we're, um, you know, we're sort of becoming awakened, if you like, to the potential of, you know, what the rest of the world has got to offer in beer. And, um, you know, I think that craft generally is sparking desire amongst the, the broader community to, to drink and explore the, the traditional styles of beer from around the world. 
And you know what? I, I think the beers from St. Bernardus are, are recognised certainly amongst educated uh, beer drinkers as being, you know, the absolute pinnacle of, of what's available. So, um, you know, they just, um, they excite me. Great beers. Um, I'm, I'm the national sales guy for this business and um, I'm working really, really hard to get some, um, some really broad distribution so that, um, you know, more people can, can drink these beers um, because I think that they're, they're just, um, you know, they're unique and fantastic and need to be showcased around Australia. What do you got, Thads? You got something? Oh, yeah. I guess much like Mike said, there's just been a really strong reception to the beers. Um, I've been with the company a little less less long, Mike, only about two years for myself. But even from my, my first couple of weeks, you know, people have been stocking the beers on the shelves. All the pre- Any orders that we put in, the I guess the range kind of gets snapped up pretty quickly. The uh, ABP 12 is, is everywhere. I think it's our biggest seller by far. I would say upwards of 50 to 60% quite comfortably um, across the various formats of the small formats and the larger formats. Uh, that's the most popular by far. And even the larger formats like the six liters um, and we do some vintage magnums with the painted specialty ones on them as well, uh, quite popular. But in terms of me being on the ground in the stores and talking to shops, they're, they're always in demand. People are always getting them and, and I think they're always on the shelf and if there's space, they want to stock all of them. Um, so nothing but big ticks for me. Yeah, I was going to say something just about the, the sort of cycle of um, stock coming into Australia through Phoenix Beers. Um, you know, the international shipping is a disaster at the moment, so it's taking quite a long time to get stock, um, you know, across the water, um, you know, in, in the order of sort of four, four and a half months. So the, re- the reality is we're probably doing three major orders into the market every, you know, every year or more, thereabouts. Um, so that means that there, there are gaps in supply. But I think if you work with your, you know, your local craft, um, specialty craft beer store, you'll, you know, you'll have access to the beers when you need them, definitely. And like I say, I'm working hard on getting a broader distribution. There'll be more of it. And, and I think it's worth shouting out, and Ted, hopefully you might be able to help us with this. Again, talking a little bit behind the curtain and behind what happens behind stage, we had this idea, you know, what, Four or five months ago, uh, we secured the guys who were very generous with their time. But then beers ended up in weird spots and you had to go and pick up some beers from weird places. So it was entirely plausible two months ago that we wouldn't have these five beers. And a number of places were really helpful. So if you want these beers in Melbourne, do you want to give a shout out to some, some places that gave up their beers so that we could have tonight? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's certainly a couple of cases went walkabout. If it wasn't for some some very generous bottle shops that we have a good relationship with, we wouldn't be able to to all share them tonight. So, um, Sellers Bentley, uh, Purvis Sellers, Bottle House, uh, and Carlton Sellers are the, a couple of the guys that all chipped in, and I managed to scrounge around with the other rep and drive around the state and and get enough beers for all of you guys to enjoy this evening um, and for us to talk about. So it's yeah, we're in we're in luck that everyone is happy to pitch in. So it's genuinely enormously from me, thank you, because these nights are so special to have such special guests on and it only works 
because you guys drive around and pick up random six packs from places and then i catch random trains to random places and deliver them and that's how we all come together into the cool room tonight we've probably got about 10 minutes left maybe 15 minutes left we've got one audience question already on the books in the chat i think maybe we've got room for two more um i've got two questions guys i want to ask before we before we close out um mm. first of all this beer has a shelf life of four years. Am I right? Will it change during those four years, or you know what's going to ha what's going to happen to that beer if we if we sell it and age it? I think uh, you know it's a uh, so uh, we, today I received an email from a new customer in Vietnam, and he asked me the expiry date of our beers, of the Magnum bottles, the the Ab Twelve Magnum that we do every year. Uh, it's a one and a half liter bottle. Uh, it has a, a piece of art on it. We have 10 year old bottles in the brewery. The best before date on them is four years. Best before, but it's not the expiry date because our beer doesn't, beer, our beer doesn't expire. It, it's, it's still, it's always good for consumption. And actually, uh, uh, I think it, it, uh, it shows it's, Clear that for people that that if you drink a brown beer, high alcohol, like up 12, some try to drink it young, some drink, like to drink it a little bit older. And some people really like to drink 10 year old beers. So that's something peculiar and that's something really nice. I'm pretty sure that a 20 year old, up 20 year old, up 12, there's some behind us in the cupboard. Those are from, from about, uh, 30 40 years ago the, the oldest i've had was was a, a 30 year old app 12 and uh, it, it tasted perfect but i'm not going to drink the whole bottle it's just really cool to drink that beer see that it's still saturated it still has uh, effervescence in it but we drank it with four guys and uh, it was really nice to drink uh the reason we have the best before date is that if you like to drink the beer young, you should drink it within those days. But it evolves. It it becomes uh, it becomes more. Uh, it goes towards Madeira, towards Porto. It becomes a completely different beer over a period of time. So the older uh, a beer gets, um, the the more flavors come out. But you have to like that. Some people like to drink it young. So, for example, me, uh, I, I, I love uh, Ab 12 when it's about one and a half years old. So that's what I try to keep in my cellar. I have my I have uh, Ab 12 in my cellar. I, I buy, I know how much I drink and I keep it around the, the walls. And I know always that the, my new beer I put in the cellar and I go back to the oldest and I pick up one bottle from there. Um, you don't put labels on it. You strike me as the kind of man who might just put a little note or a label on it, or do you know all by? Do you know each bottle personally? It, it says it on the on the back. You know, it says on the back when it's brewed. Well, I know when it's brewed. It, you have to subtract uh, four years from the date, so that's kind of easy. But can I can I now that I have the bottle in my hand, I would like to show something to you. Yes, please. I was going to ask this. I think we're going to, please. I'm going to talk about something that is very hard to find 
but if you're lucky, you can find it. One in a thousand, our monk winks at you. So this is a non-winking monk, but one in a thousand, our monk winks at you. He does this. So no, actually the other eye, he does this. So uh, be on the lookout. If you buy a whole palette, you definitely got one because it's not <laughs> one in a thousand. It's, it's, I say one in a thousand, but it's actually one every thousand. So we, uh, when the labels arrive in the brewery and we, we bottle the beer, we put uh, 1,000 regular labels in the, in the machine and then we put one uh, uh, winking eye mook label. How, how do you do that? You, you actually hand label one or? No, we put it in, it's like a feeder and you, you put uh, 1,000 regular ones in and then one, one is sticking behind The special one is just stuck behind it. It's... It, I'm so much of a nerd. I'm more interested in the labeling process than I am in the fact that there is one. It's like, come on over. Well, we'll show you. Oh, I, I'm keen. If if the Australian treasurer would allow me, I'd be over there right now. Maybe that can be part of another educational program. Absolutely. That's even more to do with Australian industry. I, I would happily do that. I've got one more question for you guys, then three audience questions, then we're going to close out. I'm sorry to have kept you so long, but I'm really interested to hear. We've, we've heard from Michael and David about how important and exciting this beer is to have in Australia. We've just heard about Vietnam. How many countries do this, does this beer go to? And do you ever have to say no to exporting this beer to places? We, we did uh, have a, a, a period in the past where we had to say no to new customers. But uh, that's not this year. So this year we were able to add a few countries. We added uh, Macedonia, uh, Vietnam, uh, I think Taiwan also. And... Uh, but, but uh, in total, we are in about, uh, in total, we're in about 75 countries. About 50 of those we do directly. 25 are done through a distributor that uh, gathers different breweries for different beers, uh, different beers from different breweries and puts them all together on a, on a, on a mixed palette and ships it to Mauritius, yeah. you know, because we don't, we don't ship full containers there. Not yet. And uh, I guess uh, fair to say that uh, our beer pops up in places that we don't know about either. Um, people go on holidays in very remote places and come back with pictures of uh, a bottle of App 12 uh, on the top of the Kilimanjaro. Yeah, or you, <laughs> receive, like... a lot of, you receive a lot of quick pictures to WhatsApp. Yeah, Marco. Yeah, also. <laughs> People send me stuff from all over the world. So uh, I guess sometimes it's uh, strange to see where our beer goes. Uh, I'm sure it is, but it's obviously a statement about how much it's loved around the world that it does. Barack Obama gave, uh, Barack Obama poured uh, 14 uh, bottles of up 12 uh, Methuselah, so six liter bottles, big, big, big bottles on his second inauguration party which was held in Hawaii. Is Barack Obama some kind of famous Belgian? Uh, yeah, Belgian? he's like, I don't think I've heard of him. I think uh, he's more known uh, uh, across the pond, but 
at the other side, I guess. Uh, gentlemen, I'm going to uh, open up the room for some of the Zoom questions now. Again, I really want to emphasize how special it is to have you guys on the show and that everyone who's in the room tonight bought the pack and that's what's allowed us to have this special night. Mm -hmm. Jacob Jackson, you're a very long time Cool Room fan and you've got a great question, I think, for the guys. Fire away, please. Yeah, I just um, thank you guys for coming and doing this and uh, thoroughly enjoying your beers. I would also just quickly note that you can thank Vine Stefan for getting me to try these beers because I thought, oh, I've tried so many German beers, they're not going to impress me, and they did. And I'm like, oh, well, I better try these Belgian beers because I thought I've tried so many Belgian beers, but no, and these are really special. So it's good. And thank you to David and Phoenix for bringing my way. But my question, very simply, is why are Belgian beers, generally speaking, so like strong in alcohol, so boozy? You know, was there a historic reason that they made them so strong? Like not many countries are rocking 10, 12% beers as a kind of normal thing people will enjoy in a beer garden. What why 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 in Belgium that you got you guys just ramped it up? I think it's fair to say this goes way back where where the we're stuck as a country, we're stuck between uh, Holland and France. France that has wine uh, and Holland that has cheese, you know, basically. Yeah, that's right. And we like to find our own identity. And I think uh, we found it by uh, being the only country in the world where from decades, ages, we brew beer according to four different principles. We brew low fermenting beer, high fermenting beer, spontaneous fermenting beer, and mixed fermentation. So those are four things that we do. And those, those four things uh, lead up to so many different styles and varieties. Like I said before, it takes you up to a lifetime to find your favorite one. And I think uh, a lot of brewers uh, now and in the past, they've tried to come up with new varieties and diversities. And that's why we've not just grown in, the, in width, but also up into the scale of higher uh, high alcohol beers. Uh, I think it's fair to say that uh, that's the reason that we are uh, such a strange country. I just find it interesting historically that product differentiation was still a big thing, maybe even a thousand years ago. Uh, I, I, I think, uh, you know, Germany had their Reinheits to bolt, uh, so they can only brew with uh, uh, what four, they say. Four. What they say is the only thing you can brew with. But you know what? I have only one. I have one answer to that. Try San Bernardo's wit. It's brewed with coriander and orange peel. So that's what I tell uh, Marcus and, uh, and uh, Johannes from Wine Stefan. What do you have to show for? I mean, come on. And, and that beer is in our tasting packs. So if you've bought a tasting pack from the cool room tonight, uh, you either have already or you can enjoy that beer. Um, a great <coughs> question, Jacob, and genuinely a really interesting answer. It's um, a lot of thought went into that. Uh, Crofty, my friend, you too have an interesting question to ask um, about the bar itself. Yeah, um, you, you did mention earlier that uh, you had installed this uh, wonderful rooftop bar, which I'm 
very keen to come and visit one day when the cool wind bus gets over there. Um, and and you had sixteen different beers on tap. I'm 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 getting a little bit of uh, fear of missing out here and wondering what other than the beers we we have uh, is is on tap there at St Bernardus because I I think these are the only beers I've actually really seen at St Bernardus. So. First of all, I'm really glad that someone is paying attention. Uh, I told you our listeners were very keen-eyed. Yeah, because that's you have a keen eye, Crofty, that's right. So we we do have nine beers in our range, uh, as you can see on our website. So uh, 16 minus nine, uh, that that makes a lot of beers that not are on our website. Seven, yeah, correct. So um, we we have uh, the barrel-aged Tim Bernardus at 12 on draft as well. Oh, that yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's another incentive to come over. It, it nice. really is. Yeah. So we also have uh, the ABT twelve nitro. Do you know nitro beer, guys? Yeah, we do. Yeah. So not with uh, CO two, but with nitrogen. Mm-hmm. Really cool. Like, and, and does that change like the mouthfeel? What does that, that do? Uh, that cool. thing or, you know, really cool. Hmm. But only here. Almost, almost only here. Almost only here. And then we, like we, we mentioned, we also have a, a small city brewery in Ypres. That's a city uh, a 25 minute drive from Watu, where uh, the St. Bernardus brewery is based. Uh, and there we brew six beers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we still, we mm-hmm. brew six beers over there. And uh, so all, all the beers that are brewed in, uh, in Kazamatten are also on draft at the rooftop bar. And finally, we have Wine Stefan. No. Yeah, of course. Which They're one? A friend. So if, you, if you're counting, uh, Marco, we have more than 16 beers on draft. No, we have two of the draft lines of water, remember? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which of the Wine Stefan do you have on, on just for those uh, the coming Hefeweiss. this week? Hefeweiss. Sometimes we do the Vitus as well, but that depends uh, on the period of time. We did we, the Brock. We love the Vitus. With Char Nevada. We brewed, uh, we had that on draft. Uh, no, no, we didn't have that on draft. No, we did, no. We did but uh, the Brew Pact with Sierra Nevada was also really cool. I really liked it. You have, you have uh, Sierra Nevada coming up soon, right? That's right. Yeah, for 4th of July, basically. Oh, did I say oh, that out loud? Oh, my God. It was a long so, yeah, night. The other that day. answers your question. They're, they're one. We'd love them. We're, we're looking forward to that. We have one question left. Uh, Mugs, if you're there and ready to unmute, unmute yourself because your question is a very interesting. That's This is going to be a great way to close it out because it's a little bit controversial, I think. Marcus. Uh, thank you, David. Thank you. Uh, thank you, guys. Um, yeah, it's been it's been great um obviously uh you guys have you know, the brewery has a relationship with um the wistful Edron trappist brewery and a lot of these beers are uh based and, and as you sort of before mentioned the yeast profile is is based on a lot of their beers um i suppose my, my question is how did this one, how did well specifically this beer? How does this compare to the, the Trappist version of the the Wisp Twelve? 
and um, I mean, how does that that relationship work between the two breweries? That's a really good question. It's a very good question, but it's kind of difficult to answer uh, because I have to be careful not to <laughs> say something that I can't. It's okay. This uh, isn't being recorded. Oh yes, wait, it is. It is being recorded. So, but 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 to be honest, you know, we 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 brew same round as up twelve. We got the recipe from them in nineteen forty six. The brewmaster became a partner of the brewery. He brought along the yeast train. We still brew the same beer, the same recipe. We gave it another name, but it's fair to say that the the Trappist monks themselves they not, they notified us in nineteen eighty five that we were not going to be able to renew our uh, license. They built a new brew hall for themselves. They started brewing for themselves again because they always kept on selling for themselves, uh, brewing for themselves to, to, to drink their own beer and to sell in three pubs in the area, one across the street called in the Vrede and two others in the city center, which they don't do anymore right now, but they still brew beer for in the Vrede. Mm -hmm. which is not a little pub anymore it's much bigger it's really cool to visit uh if you've never been there go there they're really nice people uh are uh running the place uh philip and guy are good friends of ours uh, we know them pretty well we know the monks pretty well as well but it's not fair to say that our beers are exactly the same we still brew the same beer with the same recipe uh same yeast strain no problem but they they started brewing a new beer, well, not new, but they started brewing for the set for themselves again, and they did it in a different way than we do. Than we do, we've always brewed with other water, and actually, when they started brewing for themselves again, they didn't use the original yeast strain. They used uh, the yeast strain of another Trappist monastery, uh, which I don't know the name of, but they've asked me not to disclose. So, I'm not, that's what I'm not going to tell you. They, they use the yeast string of another Trappist monastery, not their own. That, that's really interesting. Um, I, I suppose that the reason I, I sort of asked that question because one of, one of, something I suppose is a rite of passage is um, well, trying the, the, the West Lederen 12 is, is a rite of passage down here because it's very, very, very hard to come by. And um, obviously people make comparisons between these two beers and um i think you know one thing a lot of people always want to do is try them side by side to see what they, they taste like be blind yeah well, well well that's what well now that i, I may have bought a, a couple of these now so somewhere in the near if future you do, if you do that if you do ever do that uh, try to do it blind try to do try to get bottles that have about the same age our beer when it's younger i don't think you've ever tried our beer young because it travels a lot no. <laughs> not here uh, but if our beer is younger it's it's much different uh their beer uh, the beers are very similar they're not the same exactly the same there but let's say we think they're in each other's neighborhood and some people, not me, some, not me. Some people call them twins, twins yeah. non-identical twins. Well, they, they have the same parents, but they have gone their own way after leaving the house, something like that. Yeah. That's a beautiful expression. Uh, gentlemen, 
and thank you to all of our questioners. I'm going to wrap things up here. We have the number eight here to enjoy in Melbourne, Australia. I'd love it if you guys can stick around for some of that. But Marco... Their eight and our eight are even more close to each other 